0: As the medtech industry migrates from big white buildings to the almighty cloud, the learning and development curve associated with innovation can present challenges to your success. How strong is the relationship between your customer base and your product? Is your business poised for competitive success in this tech-driven arena? From upstream to downstream, the future of your business will rely on a few key components everything you need to know at the MedTech Business Academy. Soldiers, Joining us today from the Expert team are... Hi,
1: my name is Mike Sparduti, and I am the CEO of Emerge Sets.
0: Hi, this is Ted
2: Newell. CEO of Medical Device Success, home of the Medical Device Success
3: podcast.
4: Hi, this is Scott Alexander. I'm the CEO of Gyrus Marketing.
2: This is Skander Derty,
5: CEO of the Clinician Exchange.
3: I'm Barbara Strain, principal and owner of Barbara Strain Consulting.
6: Hi, I'm Tom Hickey. I'm Senior Vice President of Business Development for TTI Health Research and Economics and the host of MedTech Gurus, a podcast that talks about healthcare innovations in the medtech industry.
2: Okay, Med Tech experts, welcome back. We're going to have a little conversation here to continue on from where we left off last time. Let's get talking. What do you want to talk about today? I think we've got several subjects lined up.
3: Uh, you know, we were last time we we're talking about, you know, what things are we're going to drag with us not drag with us in 2021 to 2022 and beyond. And, and I think the sort of the elephant in the room and the things that I think we can really resonate and help people with is, you know, things are just gonna migrate out of what I call the big white buildings, right? Out of the hospital. So things are gonna gravitate into ambulatory, ASCs, that sort of thing. But I think those buzzwords we've kind of been hearing is, you know, the hospital at home and those sort of outpatients things. So. I think that's something that med tech needs to sort of, you know, grasp and how can they really fit in. And so we started riffing a little bit about that. So I think it's a great way to start off.
5: I mean, just think about that holistically for a second, right? All these organizations are set to chase these big buildings, okay? And if not the big buildings, it's the small buildings, right? That just have a big, think about how disruptive that is to the to this current and past med tech model. Like this is this is something I am not sure if our industry is really quite prepared for.
4: No, I, I think even things like the distribution model. Like if you think about um, like back when I was at ROI and we had you know self-distribution inside Mercy, we started going to ASCs and you know hospital or doctor's offices, that sort of thing. And it was mind blowing, just the level of complexity. And and so what do you do? Like how do you actually handle that? I think I think a lot of people struggle with that because um, like you said, like they're geared up on let's ship, ship 10,000 units to the big white building. And now it's let's ship a thousand to a bunch of little buildings. Uh, nobody's really prepped for that right now.
2: Yeah, it's no. interesting. Yeah, I, yeah. I talked to a, uh, an investor, a guy that runs a fund out of Singapore the other day, and he um, his whole portfolio is Value-based care, all, all the products are related to value-based care and to, um, and they have an AI component, many of them do. And it's a lot of remote patient monitoring, which goes to the whole thing, you know, the whole subject of, you know, getting into the home, moving patient care out of the hospital. And that is his big focus. I mean, I think he's going to have around 175 million in this next um, uh, fund that he's building right now and he will have it all deployed and in, into products just like that
6: there's another big element in all this and that's the 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 company or organization or government that's going to be doing the reimbursement how do they bill for this you know who's going to pay for it uh, so those are there's a lot of big questions around that right now as well
5: what do you guys I mean the reality is it's it's happening right it's happening without all those Things in place, right? We're we're used to having, especially in this in this industry, it's like, well, we've got to set this up, set this up, set this up, and then we can go it. We can go after it. Now, this stuff is just happening regardless of of the parameters, which is a little different than than what we're used to. So, there's a lot of catching up from a regulatory standpoint, from a uh, 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 compensation reimbursement standpoint. So, you know, the good news is for for med tech companies is you're playing catch up equally with all the other entities.
2: Yeah. You know, and if you look at the whole subject of population health, which is where this goes, right, Barbara, mm-hmm. it's that like, when I talked to um, uh, just Joseph, Joseph Schulman at Northwell, you know, he he's the VP of population health there and the, they are really trying to keep people in their homes and out of the hospital, out of the beds, because, and so they own that. They own. They want to own that population, but they need the technologies to help them take care of those people. So Northwell actually has an alliance with a venture fund now to seek out technologies like this that will help them manage patients in, in the home.
3: Well, it brings to the point is, and, and I think I made it a, a couple of Uh, days ago or whatever talking to a few people is you're going to have tech companies long lists of the type of customers that you need to reach out to so it's not just a key two or three people in a hospital or whatever there are so many they can be other you know, uh, med tech companies, they can be data farms. I mean, just a variety of things. So customers are gonna take on a whole new sort
4: of venture there. So what do you do then? Like if you're and I, I don't know why my mind an endoscope manufacturer popped into my head, but like-
3: <laughs> We have a
4: theme. Right, yes. because <laughs> I brought <laughs> That's it up last like time. You brought it up last time, yes. <laughs> So, uh, GI, not anyway. So, uh, oh, okay. we will come in the north side. The, um, <laughs> what do you do if that's who you are? Is this a G rated show? Uh, what do you do if that's what you do? How do you take advantage of this shift to lower acuity settings and into the home if I've traditionally spent my entire life in and around the OR? Are you talking it's, from, it's, a a yeah,
3: from a med tech or a physician or what?
4: I'm talking from a med tech standpoint. Like if I I'm I'm manufacturing medical technologies that are primarily used in and around the OR, right? Or in and around a, a some sort of a GI suite or some sort of suite. How does this affect me, other than hearing people talk about it?
5: I mean, I'm just literally brainstorming here, but I think I think one of those ideas is you've got to be thinking more upstream. How do you help identify patients? How do you help create compliance? Right? Can you develop tools and technologies? that really help the provider market be able to say hey these are probably going to be whether it's a cohort or these are the exact people within your patient population that you really need to get targeting uh to and then having them come through and helping with the workflow
3: i mean scoping in a hospital is not a way to go anyway you have to set up centers so to skinder's point You've got to partner with these folks, so you can help with all of the downstream things. So there's a lot of avenues there that you have to wrap your mind around.
6: There's also an interesting element to this. Uh, On my podcast, I interviewed a, a, a CEO that was doing a lot with virtual reality, where the CEO or the surgeon could actually do things virtually. And uh, we're talking about robotics now, where they don't even have to be in the same room. So to Barbara's point about all these different centers, you could have the surgeons in one location and have patients at multiple centers with a tech. And now you're doing all these procedures uh, somewhat invasively, but you've got the surgeons stationary. I
5: don't know if you saw the news last week, Johns Hopkins successfully had a robot perform via AI without surgeon interference, a full procedure. I don't. I don't remember what the procedure was. It, it, non-invasive by surgical standards, but it was invasive, and it was successful. And they believe the outcomes were actually better than what most of the surgeons would have achieved. As an AI robot, that's awesome. They, yeah.
4: Yeah. You know, Tom. To your point. Um, so, Aravind Eye Center. If you guys are familiar with uh, Aravind, by right? Indian. Um, so they treat uh, cataracts in India and um, they do the most cataracts per physician out of any hospital in the world, and their outcomes are better than anybody else in the world, and literally what they do, because we, we looked at this when I was back uh, running innovation uh, for the division of Medtronic um, that later came up with the robot. We were looking at the fact that what they did was they would literally have two tables in a room, and the uh, um, ophthalmologist was on a like a chair and he would literally roll back and forth. And so like they'd line up a patient as he's on the other one and he'd do his procedure. He literally just like scoots over, starts working on patient two and it goes back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And so, yeah, the, the, the throughput goes through the roof and the learning curve and the skill that you get, if all you're doing is cataracts or you're only doing this or only doing that goes up exponentially, um, mm-hmm. which I actually think, Skinder, to, to your point about going into the community, that's where my head goes, right? I go back to when I was, you know, back doing innovation at Mercy. Um, you know, we were, we were talking to a couple of companies. I mentioned Medtronic last time, uh, a couple of other ones that were coming up with packages like this to say, hey, we're going to help you identify the patients that are indicated. Because, you know, if we think about um, colonoscopy for folks over the age of 50, Right, there's there's sound literature to say that it is a, a a cost savings in that population if you actually go in and you're you're scoping people and identifying questionable polyps and cancers early on. So, yeah, if I'm making scopes, I'm going to try and take that route, right, and make sure that that I'm getting deeper, have a better relationship, and that's not Randy the rep walking into, you know, a, a small ASC. That's a higher level conversation. But once you get that kind of a relationship right? You you cannot be unseated. And the thing, and then I'll stop talking here in a second, but the thing that I see, because again, I realize I'm like a nomad in the industry, when I was running a GPO, right? All these, you know, running an ROI, like everybody was saying, hey, you know, stop beating us down on price. Well, the way that you don't have that conversation with your GPO or the purchasing guy at Hospital X about price is you have a value where your CEO and the chief quality officer for Saint somewhere have a tight relationship because of the value that's being delivered in the value based care side of the of the world. And then you know you're not having that argument with a, you know, with a, a, a sourcing specialist somewhere. You're actually talking at a much higher level. So,
5: I mean, th- this migration to ambulatory or home, I think, becomes one of those things where medtech probably has to focus from the point of care or point of procedure and be thinking a little bit more upstream, right? You've gotta think of a total solution. It's obviously your product has to work at the point of care, but how are you gonna help feed that? Whether it be throughput, intelligence, whatever it may be, which, you know, let's be frank. So many of these organizations are just focused and they should, right? Their specialization is the science and engineering that they've developed to address a need, a complication, a challenge as it relates to the procedural setting or the therapeutic setting, whatever it may be, or diagnostic. But I think they've gotta be thinking a little bit differently. Like, let's not just think of that one delivery mechanism. How can we think a little bit more holistically?
2: Well, you think about all the implant companies, for example, um, or uh, so somebody receives an implant as part of a surgical procedure and they're very involved with their doctors they really understand what's required for a successful uh, recovery from the procedure because they had to go through all that, right, to get the, the product cleared and to help market and so on. But it seems to me that they need to take one more step further when it comes to the hospitals trying to get that patient back to the home quickly. I think the companies could get more involved in helping people understand what's required for good patient recovery, provide some of those tools, provide some of those training protocols and, and uh, capabilities. I think companies could offer more of that. And and that takes you to the whole concept of a customer, uh, customer success department, which is becoming more and more popular these days.
3: You know, speaking of customers, You know, Mike, we kind of had a conversation a a bit ago about what does that do to the types of customers and relationships that your types of service, and you had some really great uh, responses about that.
1: So, you know, what we're seeing is the companies that are embracing this transition from the acute care setting to the home setting the revenue models are amazing, and the reimbursements are amazing, and COVID really helped that, right? COVID forced uh, Medicare and a lot of the reimbursement to move this route, so, you know, I'm working currently with a uh, sleep apnea company. I'm also working with uh, a remote patient monitoring company that does basic things for chronic care patients like diabetics or congestive heart failure and things of that nature, and what's amazing is, and For those of you out there that are looking at how to take advantage of, you know, this opportunity at the home, the reimbursements are significant. I mean, on remote patient monitoring, you can see anywhere between $100 to $200 per month per patient. So think about that opportunity that exists. And oh, by the way, I mean, my mom, before she passed, she had congestive heart failure. And think about all these patients. They get released from the hospital, they have chronic conditions, they're very sick and everybody knows it's just a matter of time that they're gonna come back to the hospital, but when do you get them? And so this technology that's out there can alert them right away and they can do interventions that are right on the spot or they can deploy an ambulance. So I think the opportunity for everybody is to take advantage and we do need these services at home because we need to protect people that are sick number one. What that Number two is what that does to the sales process is our clients now are not just calling into the hospital themselves at the, the normal call points, but we're seeing call points like hospital discharge planning and case management, whereas, you know, you know we were calling on just the traditional uh, decision makers before.
2: And I want to ask Mike another question. So, you know, um, we talk a lot about Neuro linguistic programming, or you do. Mm-hmm. You talk a lot about that for um, like inside sales and and to make sales, whether it's inside or face to face, just to make you more efficient, right? Make mm-hmm. make your sales call more productive. But what about the the service side of it as opposed to the sales side? I mean, could can um, the kind can that kind of training help a customer success department better reach out to the field people that are coming out of a population health group out of a hospital, those field people that need follow-up as they're taking care of patients?
1: A hundred percent. I mean, when you talk about, and anybody that that knows anything about language or transformational grammar or neurolinguistics or just basic communication, the objective is for me to impart knowledge or for me to teach you something or for me to service you or get you to understand something in the most efficient manner. And so training and how to communicate in neurolinguistics becomes very important, not only for salespeople, but we're seeing doctors, nurses, customer care people, customer service. It's booming right now because you need to be able to transmute your information quickly. And so you need to be brief and be brilliant and package up that information in a way that you receive it, Ted a lot differently than Barbara receives it, a lot different than Tom exceeds it, because we're all different ages, we all different have uh, preferred learning styles, we all have different experiences, so what a, a neurolinguistic programmer can do is assess those things very quickly and repackage the communication, so that way we can be more efficient, faster, and help you get to where you need to uh, in, in, in a better way.
6: So, Mike, if I'm following you, one of the things that I'm thinking about this is is not only in the sales process, but I think what you're saying is all the way downstream and upstream, including training that patient, right? The clinician to train the patient on that equipment or that test that they're going to do. So they're doing the right application. So they're getting the right data and the right course of treatment. Am I
1: following you right? You are 100%. And, and the other really interesting thing is, I put this program together a few years ago, but we called it upcaring. So you can actually, instead of called upselling, right? You can, a lot of clinicians now are on, in the, on the talking to the patient, and they have the ability to increase products being sold to that patient. And a lot of these nurses don't want to go out and make those recommendations because they feel like they're selling things and that's not consistent with who they are. So we had to convert them from being salespeople to care more. So we changed it from upselling to upcaring. And that was just understanding what the patient needs so you can provide recommendations. And in some instances, they're cash pay recommendations. So, so this is mind-blowing to like a nurse who's out there who is dealing with somebody and she's making a recommendation on a tubing or something else that the patient's got to pay out of pocket. And that's a whole other income stream for companies now is cash pay. Yeah, I love it. That's that's really good. So, you know,
5: you, you know, building upon some of the things that we've actually taken uh, two calls in the last probably three months from companies uh, who are starting to develop products just for the ambulatory space the challenge that they're also starting to understand is all the downstream aspects. So the reason why they called us is um, typically they've been able to provide their distributor sales force and their sales channels support, technical support, customer support through their team of three customer service reps in their home office in, in California. And now they're like, wait a second, we're going to the home. We can't support twenty sales reps with three people. And so now we've been taking calls about how can we develop a clinician-focused call center that can provide us support? And again, patients aren't we're just worried about their issues during working hours, right? Um, so yeah. we're, we're actually working with these companies to develop clinician-led call centers um, that can help the patient, whether a technical support or a clinical support. But again, that was something that they had not budgeted for. That is something that they had not thought about. It was one of those things that just, they, they received their 510K, we we're all excited, the whole budget plan, the whole project plan going. And then I guess somebody in marketing raised the question and said, uh, what happens when Mary calls in at 1 a.m. and says, I, I don't know how to use your feeding pump. And then the light bulb went off for the entire company. Um, uh, fortunately, we're, we're working with them on a solution. But I think that's the other thing: is what are you not thinking of as things go ambulatory? And per Mike's, per Mike's point, you know, you said uh, client success, Ted, and then Mike talked about the ability to communicate effectively. This neurolinguistic programming that's going to go throughout the spectrum. That's going to be really important throughout for customer success.
1: Well, how how cool is this? I, I just was introduced to a company. They're called Be Human. And what it is, is it's a platform, which is that deep fake technology. I don't know if you've guys seen like, you know, somebody who's like Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. His face (laughs) morphs in, right? Well, this technology, it's so cool, is that a doctor can talk to a patient and be like, hi, Barbara, I understand now you, you have this problem and this is what you do, or you're having a problem hooking up your pump or whatever at the home. And the person is talking and saying, Barbara, because the AI is changing the mouth to make it look like it's customized communication to the patient. And so that's a way that I'm watching like AI scale messaging is the doctor can have that one conversation with that that patient. And it can seem like he's having that one-off conversation with all his patients and he just records it one time. I That's seem
5: to remember really cool. Arnold Schwarzenegger making a movie about that. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: was thinking
4: uh Wesley Snipes like uh and um Sean Connery, right? Back in the day of Rising Sun or whatever it is.
3: Yeah,
5: right. Yeah, there's something in you know. a Blade,
3: Blade Runner. Yes. All yeah. yeah. well, we have to do is just go back and we watch movies, right? <laughs>
5: <laughs> no, don't because now it's like real, it's scary. I know, yeah, exactly. it's
3: like scary. Yes, yes. Yeah.
4: <laughs> I do think, so. yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say, I mean, I, I do think that there's a lot, it's, it's easy for us to get um, super futuristic about where we're going. And everybody, I, I love tech as much as anybody else, but I think there's also really practical things that we can do in, in like 2022 um, that if you're running a med tech company or you're head of sales or marketing or whatever, that, that can really differentiate you, which is basically go and talk to the provider about what mm-hmm. their goals are for the year and what they're trying to accomplish. Um, and I think what you're going to find is there's some low-hanging fruit. I think my head, honestly, I think I'd, my head would be spinning if I was listening to us. I'm like, oh crap, now I got to have like the AI-driven uh, image. I, I'd have a hard time with that. But, but I do think that the idea of just going in and having a conversation, not as like, what can I get you to buy right now? But more along the lines of, what are you trying to do? I think that's good marketing, good sales, and so few people do it that if you really wanted to win in twenty twenty two, just do that, and then they will tell you what you need to do, and then you can develop your AI driven neural. But it's
3: not only what do you want to do. Is is if you're educated by listening to things like what we're talking about and reading and talking to other people, you can educate the provider. And sort of helping them with what they really want to do. You know, they may not have thought about it or, or put that together. So that's why these conversations are so important because we can kind of keep track of what some of the leading things are and help to populate, you know, and educate what's really going on.
6: And if I can just amend that a little bit, the, uh, not only talking to them, but asking their permission to observe what they've got going on because many times they don't even know what their challenges are. But if you can immerse themselves in, or yourself into their challenges, that's really where a lot of the innovations come from. And then later on, talk to them about, you know, hey, hey, doc, or if you know, we're talking mm-hmm. to a nurse or whomever, w- what was going on here? What were you thinking? What was the challenge? How could we improve that? Getting that kind of feedback. And then now they know that you're in their world versus just you know, trying to pump them for information.
3: Yeah, Tom's being modest because Tom spends a lot of time still in OR rooms watching and observing and things so you know I've heard him talk about those sorts of things but it's what we call in lean going to Gemba right you go and you watch and I've, I've been observing a part of our observant team when I was in a provider organization, and you literally just go stand in a corner and melt away and you watch and observe and things and you just write things down for like 15, 20 minutes. And then you go off into a room, you kind of organize your thoughts. And then somebody comes in and you say, you ask questions or whatever, and they don't even realize they did or didn't do or ask for, it's a a very cool part of being in healthcare.
2: You know, I was was gonna make a comment about Scott's, you know, worrying about AI and that is, you know really, machine learning is what's being done most of the time with Medtech, which is a lot simpler. But I would say another piece of advice for med tech companies is not to get blindsided. make sure you're paying attention to all these technological developments that are going on because maybe something's an acquisition target, and you could quickly acquire yourself, acquire your way into some security as opposed to having that technology, unleashed on you and you're behind the eight ball um, because there's so much going on in in that particular area. So I think that would be one thing I would suggest. And the other is there are actually courses like Harvard's got a great course. You know, it's a few thousand bucks. Okay, so big deal. Get somebody out of the C-suite or maybe and a marketing person, send them to this Harvard course on how med tech companies can get involved in AI machine learning and deep learning. And that'll get you, you know, a few steps ahead and, and greater understanding. There's
1: other places that have courses like this too, but Harvard's got a good one. Well, Ted, to, to piggyback that, uh, I'm watching a bunch of clients now who are being really cool and creative, taking their old models and even on the disposable side and building technology and sensors in, in this stuff to, uh, to basically take data. They're becoming data gatherers now. And so um, like for instance, I have one customer who uh, he's working on another generation of falls prevention. He's the first wireless falls prevention system in the country. And now he's working on all these data inputs. So imagine somebody who, uh, the, the biggest reason why people fall is because they have to go to the bathroom, right? So he has a sensor in his diaper that lets the uh, caregiver know somebody just went to the bathroom and the clock has stopped. You better change that diaper because that, that can prevent the fall. And so then they can start measuring from the time the, the person uh, soiled themselves till the time the nurse changed the diaper, they can start measuring those things. And so that's a simple example of how this a diaper manufacturer is now a technology provider, right? Pretty cool. Mm-hmm i think it's a great example i
2: mean think about a tongue depressor you know you could you could have a bluetooth connected tongue depressor you send home with people and it does a lot more than just depressing the tongue so somebody can say ah it yeah. can take an image of the throat it could do it could probably do five things so there's you know so for if there's a company out there that makes tongue depressors it's like oh we don't have anything to worry about uh, not so you know there's a lot that can go on
3: i think ted
4: just filed the patent so i wish i was smart enough to (laughs) there's a was it Tidocare? care does something similar to that and then um there's there's another company that they have like an otoscope and a whatever the thing is that you put in your note like interesting technology and yeah like you can really take yourself out of that commoditized space Um, plus it's cool enough that people will you can get in the room to show it off and even if that's like um you know, if you're if you're selling or you have an R&D department, one of the easiest things to do is to grab an engineer or grab somebody in like upstream marketing and drag them around. And I guarantee you, you'll get meetings with particularly the, the gadgety uh, docs, the like surgeons, that sort of Gadgetes. thing. Okay. Right. Yeah. So, you know, they like to see that the coolest stuff and all that.
3: Yeah, we had one doctor who would show up like every couple of weeks with a new gadget, like he'd have the glasses with the little thing on it and everything. So we'd always go to him and have him model everything. So cool. You know, Tom brought up a really good point about 15 minutes ago about reimbursement. Because this is what physicians and executives and stuff, it keeps them up at night, right? And provider, but how am I going to be making money? Well, you sort of have to think about but you're not all doing the work you were doing before. So you have to level set and change expectations, but what could you be doing if you weren't doing all these other things? So you can maximize what, you know, you can really gear up because people will still need the hip and knee and heart and everything because of sometime. Hopefully, we'll have a podcast about um, chronic disease state and how it just drains all of our insurance and everything else, tech uh, uh, accounts, right? But you can flip that and it's maybe not worry about it so much, but you can alleviate some of those things that jam up schedules and beds and things, and start focusing on other things that could do something for you. So you have to think of those finances differently.
6: And the reimbursers, uh, you know, the insurance companies, etc, are out looking because they're looking for technologies that can help with the point of care. They're looking mm-hmm. for earlier diagnosis, you know, how do we keep this patient off expensive drug therapy, or yeah. if we're on that expensive drug therapy, how do we know it's working? Right. Yeah. So getting the validation and that data to make the determinations about what is this course of care appropriate for this particular
3: patient. Type? Right. And I don't think we talk about payers enough in general in healthcare. Uh, they're thought of a, a lot differently, but they can really be so helpful because just think of all the data they hold. Oh, and yeah. so many of the researchers are the ones that actually have really tapped into pair databases and been able to come up with diagnosing things earlier through data and then developing, you know, things like for glaucoma and things like that. So there's a lot of proven research and things out there that payers can be a really great partner.
6: Yeah. And to your point, Barbara, you know, a lot of the current suppliers to the big white buildings, right, they rely on the reimbursement team at the hospital to do that. Well, if you're going to go to the home environment, guess who you just took out of that equation? So right. now you've got to be able to speak that language because, in a sense, your customer just shifted.
3: Right. That's what I mean. Customers. you got to make a new list of customers. I was
2: paying attention. I took notes. Oh, I think I think the Sorry. hospital is going to try to own that that string all the way out to the patient. I think the hospital mm-hmm. systems will try to own that complete thing. That's mm-hmm. why some of them have made acquisitions in that space, because they, mm-hmm. they see
6: that ball, they're, you know, they're way ahead of us in some regards. They saw that ball shifting, so they've made some acquisitions or started their own, but there's still a lot of big um, a lot yep. uh, payers out there that are in insurance companies that are looking at this and uh, are, are also highly
4: focused. Yeah, I I I think I would be really nervous if I was a med tech company trying to go in and displace a provider on that. Like if you look at if you just look at operating margins for hospitals versus med tech companies, I mean, you do not want to be a provider. 2.2% right? <laughs> operating margins versus you know 30, right? 20, you know, mid mid to high 20s. Like, no, thank you. It's an order of magnitude. Mm-hmm. Um, but I but I do think that it brings up an important point, which is you you need if you want to be successful as a med tech executive, you need to understand your customer and where your customer's world is going. And mm-hmm. I think reimbursement is certainly one of those things. Value-based care um, is certainly one of those things. The push to the home is one of those things. And so what's the right solution for you, you know, for an endoscopy company versus a tongue depressor company? I think it's going to vary, but it's going to, it's going to vary based on the, the, the part of the animal, right? if you think about the health system as a, as an elephant, right? Um, right? One part's like a rope, one part's like a tree trunk, right? One part's like a snake with the, with the actual trunk. But what your world is going to look like is going to be dependent upon how things like reimbursement uh, are changing the provider's perspective on your products in the grand scheme of things. And just the last thing that I'll say on that is a lot of times providers don't know. They, they don't know what the answers are. Um, mm-hmm. Because operating margins are so different, It's much, much easier for Medtronic to hire a data scientist to go through publicly available payer data to figure out the answers that a provider should have than for an actual provider to do it, right? Just Mm -hmm. because you've got more money, right? And I know all these people are like, I don't have that much money, but you have more than the typical provider of your same size. So given that, how do you leverage your data and your ability to do things that a provider can't do to... To take that challenger sales approach, if we all remember what that was like, you know, a couple of years ago, where you can go in and you can say, hey, by the way, here's something that you can do. This is what you should be thinking about, and become a thought leader as opposed to being the tail that you know it's, that's chasing behind the dog.
5: I, I think the emphasis is on intelligence, right? And, and I think that's, you know, it's one of the most overused terms in the last few years. Yet because of the changing shift and the pivoting intelligence now is more important than ever. Right? We just did a project for one of the top uh, payers in the world, and even they are recognizing that they don't have the intelligence that they thought they did, right? How come, more, how come more people in the ambulatory setting aren't accepting their insurance? Where's the disconnect, right? It's great that we've got the big white building and, and you know, all those patients have to flow through our plans, But in the ambulatory setting, they recognize that they had a big disconnect there. So they're doing intelligence studies. This is the time. Again, I said it last time, chaos is the great equalizer. Now is the time to make sure that you're taking and investing the opportunity to do that intelligence so that within you can develop all your downstream activities and support mechanisms and resources to align with what the intelligence is telling you.
4: Mm -hmm. And
2: and before uh, we do need to start wrapping this up, I was going to suggest that that's a great comment, Skender. is there, do we have a few other comments as we wrap this up? We've covered a lot of ground. It's great. I'll
6: just say that, you know, as we started, I mean, with COVID, it changed everything and compressed a lot of the time. You know, when you look at innovations and you look at some dynamic changes, it needs a spark right? It, in whatever that spark is. But in this case, in this instance, um, the silver lining in COVID was it's created a spark for these types of innovations and got uh, people all over the ecosystem to think differently. And I think that was really one of the silver linings that came
3: out of all of this. Yeah, nothing yeah. is off the table. Right. Everything can be considered now.
2: Yeah, absolutely. What Scott, any last comments? or?
4: Uh, I think it all starts with the, starts with the provider, right? What, what's the world that the provider's in as, and as a med tech executive, what are you doing to better understand the world that they're going into, how these things are going to impact a provider? And then how do you stand where the, the puck is going to be? I think the bar to do that is substantially lower than what people think. Um, mm-hmm. And the biggest way is to to go out, talk to, talk to your the providers about what's going on, read what you see in the literature around payer structures. We didn't mention this, but we kind of alluded to it. Um, CMS raised remote patient monitoring and critical care monitoring um, or management uh, rates for 2022 by like, was it 50% or doubled it? Or like huge amounts, yeah, which huge. never happens. Yeah. And so if you're a provider of anything, you should be thinking about how the heck do we make sure that we're helping hospitals take advantage of that? Because I can assure you they're all looking at that and trying to figure out how do they take advantage of that change, that positive change in in reimbursement, because that happens so rarely, it's it's like Christmas for them.
1: Mike, any thoughts? I just think, you know, the there's a lot of chaos out there, and uh, a wise man once said, where there's chaos, there's lots of opportunity. And so I think for all of us, uh, I think this has been a great conversation. We should let it marinate and go out and start creating our own opportunities. Skinner?
5: Uh, I'm just curious uh, who Scott's going to plug today. Last week it was Pizza Hut. Um, I didn't know if you, had, if you had Pepsi or anything. Is it Nike and Georgia Bulldogs too? A lot of big blugs for the Georgia Bulldogs.
4: Well, I mean, we, we, know, we know that I have a permanent scholarship uh, or a permanent sponsorship by the university. I have an, an NIL agreement with the University of Georgia Bulldogs. <laughs> and, uh, but it's actually a reverse, so I actually have to pay them money to save that. To <laughs> so you no, need I a better journey. Right here. Go, go. No matter,
3: yeah. No matter what time zone Scott is in, there's some meal going on. So yeah, this will be uh, a concurrent I, thing.
4: Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's actually Whole Foods. So I'm sponsored. This very session <laughs> <successful> sponsored <stunt laughs> by <laughs> <stunt> by <laughs> <inaudible> Uh, you're feeling the hunger, I feel like there. we have to
5: end every episode with like a, like the way Sesame <laughs> Street does it. This episode is sponsored by the letter U. Yeah, right.
4: <laughs> That's right. You guys should be glad you didn't hear me munching the whole time. So. Well, it was
2: great. It was great talking to all you guys today. I hope you all have a nice weekend.
0: Today, we discussed how important communication is to all aspects of the medtech industry, Having conversations with your customers to understand what they need and molding your solutions to best fit their wants is the best way to stay ahead in this tech-driven reality. Conveying your information in brief and brilliant packaging is the best way to avoid traps at every step of your sale journey. Thanks for attending the MedTech Business Academy. Tune in next week as we discuss a key player in the MedTech industry, the clinician.